The reading is from the first epistle of Peter, beginning in chapter 2. Submit yourselves to every human ordinance for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that by doing well you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free but not using your liberty as a cloak for malice but as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters in all fear, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are froward. For this is worthy of thanksgiving, if a man for conscience toward God endures grief, suffering, wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you should take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, then take it patiently, for this is acceptable to the Lord. For even unto this were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should walk in his steps. He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who in himself bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. For you were sheep going astray, now you are returned into the shepherd and bishop of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You've been watching the news. There's a lot about the political order, isn't it, in the news? And you notice how all the newscasters are telling us to bear patiently? Because Christ suffered for us. You know, so that's, the, that's the universal theme you get on all the channels. The newspaper editorials hardly talk about anything else except that. Very different, isn't it? Very different. But I think what the Christians at this time are going through, and to receive that counsel, 
and what we're going through without any sense, not the slightest sense that it has anything to do with the kingdom of God. It's a very interesting, curious text, these, uh, these 13 verses we read tonight. When we have turned to Christ and received his grace, being incorporated into the church through the sacred mysteries, we find ourselves still living in the world. More specifically, we find ourselves someplace within the structures of society. We have obligations to that society. And those obligations are not diminished a whit by our turning to Christ. Indeed, it may occur to us to inquire just how our responsibilities in society may be altered by our new status as Christian believers. Certainly, there are certain standard political expressions going on right now the Christian can't have anything to do with. just can't be part of it. I mean, it's profoundly sinful at its very root. But beyond, or rather within, within the, the political order, there's the domestic order. Now that I am a Christian, I've been baptized. How does this change my relationship to my wife? How does this change my relationship to my children, my parents, my friends? Does being a Christian lay some special obligation on me as a son or daughter? Perhaps obligations of which I was not aware before. What are my duties as a Christian with respect to my being a buyer or a seller, an employee, or an employer. At the time Paul writing this, some of the Christians listening to it, or that Peter was writing about this, some of the Christians listening to it were slaves. How does being a Christian alter being a slave? I suppose I own slaves, because some of the Christians did. There's not, there's not one word anywhere in the Bible, not one word of criticism of slavery, none. The Old Testament, New Testament, not one word critical of slavery. The Christian church is into something else. Slavery will eventually disappear. When the gospel is preached enough, slavery will disappear. Christians did not make that any part of their agenda at all. On the contrary. So if I'm a Christian slave, what are my duties as a slave? All such concerns about one station in life fall under the heading of what Martin Luther called house tuffle. House tuffle. 
domestic code. Since Christians from the very beginning have struggled to understand how the gospel affects their duties in whatever state they find themselves, it's not surprising that the early Christian pastors address such concerns at length. Think of how much there is on that in St. Paul, St. Peter. Look how often this, 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 this theme arises in letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch. Polycarp of Smyrna, Clement of Rome. They talk about these duties we have to society, starting with our families, our children, our, our ancestors. And it appears in standard pre-baptismal catechesis. Before one could be baptized, one questioned whether the person being baptized was a good citizen. It was required. You see that in the Didache, for example, and the letter of Pseudo-Barnabas. Now, this is the social setting we have tonight for Peter's treatment of the same thing in this, in this Petrine text. Even while we are sojourners in this world, he says tonight, we're still citizens that have obligations to society. And that begins with, well, the King James Version is translated as as Basilius is, is translated as king, which is fine, fair enough. But he has in mind the emperor. Who's the emperor? Nero. Nero. There's the emperor. That's the, that's the man that must be honored, must be prayed for. <laughs> some of us are wives, some of us husbands. Responsible for the well-being of members of our family. In the text we read tonight, Peter speaks of Christian citizenship under the authority of the state. And notice that Peter says this. He says, we don't just keep obedient to civil society, obedient to the laws of society, obedience to the human ordinance, he says. Not just for good order, but for the sake of conscience. Why? Because the state speaks for God. That's something you hardly hear at all, that the state speaks for God. Like Paul in Romans 13, Peter reminds Christians that all legitimate authority in the world comes from God and therefore must not be disdained by those who believe they have a higher and more immediate access to God. All of us are to obey the government Peter says tonight, for the Lord's sake. That is to say, it's important that Christians will be no less good citizens than non-Christians. In fact, they have more serious obligation to be good citizens. But their motivation is directed to Christ. Because Christ is the author of all legitimate authority in this world. That theme appears so often in the, in the New Testament. It's amazing to me that Christians can talk about the political order as though, as though the Bible had nothing to say on this question. Okay. Okay. I mean, very simple things. We would take, take it for granted. Very simple things. For example, okay. notice in the Bible, if you're accused... It's up to the accuser 
to prove. It's up to the accuser. The Bible speaks on that subject. That's not in, that's not in doubt. It's up to the accuser to make the proof. It, but when you hear this discussed nowadays, it's though the Bible never addresses this at all. These exhortations of the apostles stand today as warnings to those Christians who always seem to be going out of their way to pick fights with the government. In every single divine liturgy, in every single matins, in every single vespers, we pray for the President of the United States. Okay. Sometimes I have to swallow real hard before I do that. But it's not something that's optional. That's in the scriptures. Like Paul, Peter prefers cooperation with the government where possible. Not making government the government's life more difficult than it already is. Because it's really a, it's a, it's a real burden. Public service is a real burden. That I'm sure of. I would not want to have anything to do with it. But the Christian has some obligation not to add to that burden. In short, beloved, monastic separation from the world is not the Christian norm. It is not the Christian ideal. It's a special and rare vocation. It's the exception, should never be regarded except as the exception to normal patterns of human life. There are those who believe that we can sort of live like monks in the world as though we have no obligations in the world. The gospel is incarnational in the sense that it transforms the ordinary lives of ordinary people who become saints in the world. Now, we will return to this tomorrow morning in point three of, uh, of the sermon, where we'll be dealing with John the Baptist. That good citizen, John the Baptist. <laughs> that good citizen, John the Baptist. Well, we'll see more about it tomorrow.